We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Holiday been on the all-defensive roster the last couple of seasons. Suns turn him over again, up ahead to Oubre, and Kelly rising up with a soul-stealing left-hand slam on Ingram. I don't know what Ingram was doing. That's almost like trying to run and jump into a fire. <laughs> Kelly Oubre will dunk it on you. Welcome to the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast back again with another podcast. I think three weeks in a row now. We're on some sort of streak here. Uh, my name is Mike. I'm here once as always with Sam. Sam, how are you doing? I'm good, Mike. Um, we have basketball to talk about, kind of, sort of. Maybe. maybe. It seems like it. We have real news. Let me rephrase that. Not starting off so hot today. Um, nine <laughs> weeks after the season was postponed. Uh, and, and we've recorded maybe six or seven episodes since then. And this is the first one where I think we have the opportunity to talk about uh, actual news to you guys, actual things that are going on in the Nas- uh, National Basketball Association. Uh, nothing is confirmed yet, but a couple of bombs were dropped today, and, and we're maybe headed towards uh, some legit stuff. Yeah, I think just to sort of recap, I'm just going to go off the top of my head. Everything that's sort of happened in the last week or so uh, the first big news that came out was that there was a big conference call with like a lot of the major NBA stars. 
Uh, everyone except James, James Harden, Harden, of course. Yep. <laughs> yeah, they left him out. So like LeBron, Giannis, Kawhi, uh, I forget who else was on it. But, you know, Chris Paul, of course, always finds his way into everything. Uh, and they came to the conclusion that they would like the season to continue. There's been some like rumors from other players who think that about 80% of the NBA players want the season to continue or, or come to some sort of ending, logical ending, and then a possible playoff slash finals at some point uh, in the future. And then it was uh, noted that the NBA was trying to work towards that with some sort of idea of what they call a bubble system where every one of the players and hopefully their families all live in one area and all the games take place in one area. So if there are no fans, which is part of the plan here, there's no reason for it to be home or away games. They're going to set up a singular court with proper cameras and broadcast equipment. And then the, the games will take place within that one specific place. Um, and then there was another report subsequently uh, by somebody, I believe, at Sports Illustrated, which actually kind of surprised me, uh, that <laughs> said that the NBA is now working towards a 70-game season. If you people who will who have actually continued to listen to this podcast after the end of the NBA season, if you'll remember, a few weeks ago I brought up the point that there was a specific mark for regional sports networks where they had to pay out the entirety of the sports contracts to the NBA, and that was 70 games. If each team hits 70 games, the NBA gets 100% of regional sports network money. Regional sports network money for Arizona, that would be Fox Sports Arizona. So each region has their own sports networks. Those are called RSNs. They have to pay out if the season gets to over 70 games. So this is entirely money motivated, and I think part of it, part of the reason I think the players are probably in on the idea is I'm, I'm assuming, and I don't know, Sam, you can correct me if I'm wrong in this assumption, but I'm assuming that it was presented to some of the players as, Hey, some of you are free agents. Mm -hmm. If we don't hit this 70 game mark, Mm -hmm. a max contract will be blank or, you know, a minimum will be blank or whatever the average contract would be. And it's a lot less than it has been. Obviously there was a huge inflation of contracts in the last few years and now the players all seem to be on the page of allowing the season to continue. That was the biggest hurdle in my mind for the NBA season resuming. Surprisingly, in my opinion, the players seem to be on board. Mm-hmm. And that all, all signs are now pointing towards a season uh, resuming at some point in the, in the future, likely in July, according to the reports, right? Yeah, that's a great recap. Money talks, <laughs> I think, is basically the summary there. And, and that's why the players are on board. Um, regarding the salary cap, you're precisely right. I don't think the salary cap has decreased uh, in the NBA from year to year in roughly 20 years. And even the last time that it did, it dropped by maybe a million in a season. What the NBA was headed towards, if it didn't reach the 70-game benchmark in the regular season, as you noted, and didn't get the full payout from the RSNs, the regional sports networks like Fox Sports Arizona and, and all the other ones um, for each respective team, they were headed towards a catastrophic uh, drop in the salary cap. And we didn't know exactly what that was. We didn't we didn't know to this point if there was going to require some sort of renegotiation of the CBA. Um, which is you, rumored. Which is, which is still rumored to this point. But uh, sort of forcing... Because, because let's face it, Mike, the playoffs are already set. Theoretically, in a perfect world where money doesn't matter, they only... Even if you want to finish the playoffs, you only need to send 16 teams to Disney World or, or wherever they're going to end up. Probably Disney World is looking like... 
Um, so there's no reason for the other 14 teams, including the Suns, to go if they were only going to play five games. The Suns, uh, their season is over. They're not going to make the playoffs based on a five-game sample. Um, but if uh, it's being sold to the players as a way to avoid that kind of catastrophic drop in the salary cap, preserve some of their salaries uh, for the future um, and their their future earning potential as many of them hit the free agent market for the next couple of years, that's kind of how you can sell it to them. Now, I will say, because of capitalism, it does look like all this stuff is going to happen. I think we should have the opportunity, Mike, to say, because I don't think we've said it at all in the past two and a half months. I think we've been mostly avoiding the topic. Um, Do you actually think the NBA season should return in the first place? I think I know how you feel about it. I don't think you've ever said it out loud, so I kind of want to get it out there on the record. I I really don't. I just can't imagine a scenario where this works out entirely well in all cases. And I don't want to get too grim, uh, you know, talking about basketball here. I'll be, I'll be a hundred percent honest. I'm conflicted overall. I'm conflicted, uh, because one, I feel like a return of sports feels like a bit of a return to normalcy. Now what we're going to see, assuming it does return will not feel normal. It will feel completely different and weird because they're all going to be in one place. There's going to be no fans, which potentially means no fan noise. Uh, and it's just going to be odd and awkward. And what are they going to be playing for? I think is a conversation that we can really talk about here. Of course, there are teams that we're going to uh, try to play for a title here. No matter what, this title will have an asterisk on it. Does that mean they shouldn't try hard to win it? No. F- feel free to try as hard as you want. Will it feel like a real, normal, regular title? No, it will not. It just won't. You know, one of the main reasons why the fans won't even be there when it ends, when they're hoisting a trophy at the end. You're not even going to be surrounded by people that were cheering for the team the entire time. And the idea that all, who knows what will happen, right? What happens if one of the star players gets sick and isn't able to play? Uh, It's just all of it feels a little bit awkward. So I'm mostly conflicted, but I, I do sort of lean towards playing it safe. There's just no reason to risk these players' health and safety, not to mention that. There's a lot of older coaches. There's a lot mm-hmm. of older broadcasters. Absolutely. There's people that are in. And here's the thing. It's it's not just old people that are at risk here. There's a lot of people at risk, you know, in, in a lot of different areas, uh, age ranges, everything. Uh, and it's just, a, it, for what, other than money, I guess, is kind of how I break this down <laughs> in my mind. And yep. you know what? That money's not coming to me. So, I, I you know, and I love sports. Obviously, I love sports. Um we do this podcast essentially for free at, at most months. It costs us money <laughs> to do this podcast. Uh, so of course I love it, but I I'm, I'm conflicted and I, I don't really feel like it's necessary for it to come back. And that's not saying that I won't watch it when it does. Of course I will. And I will probably be excited to see it uh, in a lot of aspects. And, uh, and later on in this podcast, we're going to talk about assuming the uh, NBA season does resume. We're going to talk about things that we would like to see out of that season. So we're going to cover it just as normal, but I, I feel conflicted. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, I can't pretend that I'd be heavily invested in five regular season Suns games that mean literally nothing. It, it feels like a huge gamble on the part of the NBA uh, in terms of the potential. And, and, you know, just to put it out there, Adam Silver told those on the NBA's Board of Governors, um, Woj tweeted this out the other day, that he said if a positive test would shut them down, then they probably shouldn't go down this path. Well, a couple days later, now they are going down this path. Evidently, they have decided that 
uh, they will put a contingency plan in place should players get sick as they need to. You know, it, it wasn't a reasonable option ever to decide that if you had another Gobert situation and one player got sick, you would shut the whole thing down again. So evidently, that is something that the NBA's Board of Governors and Adam Silver um, and, and all of the owners are willing to live with. Um, I don't think they should. As you mentioned, many of the coaches are, are old. You know, I imagine someone like Greg Popovich on the sidelines, 71 years old. Mike D'Antoni, coach of the Houston Rockets, they could go deep into, uh, deep into the playoffs. He's 69 years old. Many other coaches that are slipping my mind um, at this point could potentially be more vulnerable to this disease, not to mention their families. So I think the, the potential for this to kind of spiral out of control and pave a clear arrow pointing back to adam silver and the collective owners of the league right. as the bad guys um it's far too great that if i were them i wouldn't really be willing to take the risk but again as you say i'm not a, and neither of us are playing with hundreds of millions of dollars in our back pockets yeah and i look I, i'll be 100 percent honest to the players that sort of made this decision uh we're all players that are going to be in the playoffs We'll, we'll just say that, right? They're, they're all players that have something to play for. And I think for us, as Suns fans, what's the point? Like, for, you know, what is the point of continuing the season? Like you said, five more games for the Suns are at 75 games played. It would be essentially five basically meaningless games that the players, I brought up the list here. Chris Paul, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant, which why was he even there? Giannis, Kawhi Leonard, <laughs> Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, and Russell Westbrook. So I guess outside of Damian Lillard, every single one of these players is in the playoffs. You know, Kevin Durant excluded as well. Although his team, I'm not sure if they're in the playoff race at this point, I, but I they think probably they are. are. They are, yeah. They all, of course, they made that decision because there's a chance that they win a championship, especially this year. Like, it's up for grabs by anybody at this point because of how weird this situation is. It could be anyone. Um, and so, of course, they're the ones that made that decision. I think from, from, from our perspective here and from the perspective, I think, importantly, of James Jones, Robert Sarver, Monty Williams. Uh, remember those guys? We haven't said those names in a while. Why should it be important for them to try and should they risk injury or the the chance of a player getting sick uh just to play these five games like why why not uh you know as sad as it is to say why not sign five or six seven eight g league guys and let them play or do you think it's more important to try and get to some sort of normalcy get these guys in a little more time playing together i yeah, i, I, for, just, I for wonder sure. i would love to get in their minds there because uh, it's hard to understand why they would want to try too hard here I think there are a bunch of uh, there are a bunch of points you could make to either you know all all three of those characters really. So starting with Monty Williams, I think Monty probably couldn't care less. Uh, I, I don't really see a reason. I mean, maybe he could make the the case to the media that he's trying to enter next season with some sort of momentum. Um, but I think that's kind of just something you say. I don't know if he necessarily means it. If he knows they're not going to make the playoffs, I don't really see why he would care. James Jones might be a little more interesting because James Jones has to make some decisions coming up, and he's going to be dealing with some guys who are going to enter free agency. Uh, it's always useful to see more of a sample size um, on those guys. Um, I think it was... Uh, and and not even just this summer, but actually the summer the summer beyond too, because it was David Nash who made a good point um, the other day that you know one of the sort of disadvantages um, 
of having a shortened season right now is that a lot of GMs have to make interesting decisions on guys who are taken either from the 2017 draft class or from the 2018 draft class on smaller sample sizes of games in order to make those decisions. Allow me to give you an example that's not Suns related. Josh Jackson uh, for the Memphis Grizzlies, you may remember him, uh, played 18 games this season. He only played 18 games, but he actually looked pretty solid um, by all measures. He had, like, if I recall, a positive value over replacement player. Um, he was pretty good in some advanced statistics. He doesn't look like a future superstar, but he certainly looks like a better product than the player he was in Phoenix. The question that GMs obviously have is, after 18 games, do you trust that sample size? Are you willing to touch that sort of player uh, with a 10-foot pull in free agency. So for some GMs, I could see, even if this final stretch of games has an asterisk on it for not necessarily holding the same value, you want to get as much of a sample size as possible on any impending free agents to help you make those decisions uh, in the summer. And for Robert Sarver, Robert Sarver probably doesn't care if Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton play or not. I'm sure he cares that the Suns play because he wants as much money as possible. Um, And I don't only say that because of his reputation, but I say that because uh, factually Robert Sarver is one of the poorest owners uh, in the NBA. That's not to say he's poor, but that is to say he's not a billionaire. And many of these guys up against him, sitting next to him at these meetings, uh, are billionaires. So, you know, for Suns fans, from our perspective, Robert Sarver already has the reputation that he is. If the salary cap takes a catastrophic hit going into next season, uh, and and Sarver already being a guy that wasn't really willing to go into the luxury tax, even if the Suns were fielding a good team, you have to think that that's going to impact um, how he views building this roster in the future, if that were to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, we, you know, we should mention, too, the arena is fully under construction right now. I'm sure a lot of you have been following it uh, through the Suns posts and Lindsey Smith's posts about that. And that means that no games are going to take place in that arena right now. They can't. And mind you, that's also their practice facility until the new practice facility is open, hopefully before the end of the year here. Uh, that means they have nowhere to play and nowhere to practice. They are opening the madhouse on McDowell. The WNBA season still on hold. That means nobody's essentially using the madhouse on McDowell. Javon Carter recently posted something on Instagram of him, him actually working out there. So it appears to be open to the players right now. That means they have the ability of practicing. If there are any, uh, you know, any sort of practices, that's where it's going to happen at the madhouse which is fine and it's all safe. But as we talked about, the games are going to be in a bubble anyway. It's not like we can go to them. So that's going to be in Orlando, according to all the reports. I do want to mention, though, obviously, this is all still very up in the air. We are not reporters. We're not giving you any news here. We're just navigating it the same way that you people listening to us are. We're figuring it out as we go as well. And I think there will be an opportunity for players to speak out now i imagine there are players that are speaking privately right now it's only a matter of time before players start speaking a little more publicly and that can go a couple different directions uh with this uh there are some pretty influential voices um people close to players have been lost uh as we know and you know there could be some interesting things said by players and that could change the entire trajectory of all of this it's clearly all very money motivated, and that's a pretty strong factor for a business. And ultimately, that's what they are. You, uh, we'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes. You know, you brought up the point: what's going to happen if a player gets sick again? Obviously, they're not going to be allowed to play. But what do you think of this idea? What if they were allowed to play? That sounds horrible. Think about this. <laughs> well, we've already admitted that it's money motivated, right? Okay, so 
All these players are in a bubble. This is mostly a joke idea, but but take me seriously for a second. <laughs> Let's okay. say you start with 30 teams. You throw out the entire playoff system as it currently is designed. If it's going to be an asterisk, no matter who wins the championship, then let's let's make it fun. And and to that end, I propose this. Three leagues. You've got a winner's bracket. You start with all 30 teams, but then you've got a winner's bracket, you've got a loser's bracket, and you've got a COVID bracket. And how it works is <laughs> you start with all 30 teams. The uh-huh. winners advance until you get uh-huh. a champion. That's the winner's bracket. Pretty obvious. Okay. The losers play for the consolation prize. That's going to determine your lottery order for the year. So let's say, for instance, you know, it's going to be winner takes all in one game, single elimination, like it's March Madness, to make it interesting. So let's say the Warriors play the Bucks in the first round and the Warriors knock out the Bucks. Well, now the Bucks are probably <laughs> the best team in the consolation, the loser's bracket. And what the Bucks get to do is they get to potentially win that bracket and get the first overall pick. So it makes it interesting from both sides. As all of this happens, players are likely going to start getting infected. Um, but given the athletic uh, ability that most of them have, I'm going to bank on most of them being healthy enough to play, potentially even asymptomatic. I assume if this happens, all of the players will have to be tested every day. And so that's where the COVID bracket comes into play. All of these sick, infected players who are healthy enough to play will fill this third bracket, ideally coached by the coaches who have gotten COVID, tended to <laughs> by, by trainers who have gotten COVID, drafted onto new teams by all of the GMs who have also contracted COVID at this point. And, you know, I don't know. I just think that would be interesting. Explore some chemistry. Um, I think... Like, you could decide what what the winners in that third bracket get. I think the winners in the COVID bracket uh, drafted onto these new teams might get salary incentives. Um, <laughs> you know, you could basically give them reparations yeah. for in- they involving... Get in- <laughs> they get antibodies. And, and reparations for being involved in, in what this clusterfuck is um, in the first place. But my, my overall point being... You know, if we're going to do this, why not make it fun? Like, let, like if we're, if, if we're going to be different, let's just make it totally different, totally out there. I, that's absurd, and so is the idea of the bubble. So I guess why not? Uh, it's not that much more absurd than what they want to do. And we get a chance to see Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert on different teams because uh, they can get drafted to different teams. I guess they would be the first ones in there. Kevin Durant as well. I think those are the only. Are those the only three players that we know about? Uh, there's probably others. That Who what contracted it? Yeah, uh, Christian Wood. Christian Wood. That's right. I forgot about that. Uh, yeah. So it's all. You know, it's interesting. I do want to just come back to a point here. <clears throat> do you think the Suns should just kind of tank out these last few games and try and? <clears throat> I guess there's a chance they raise their draft stock a little bit, um, but you know, probably not by much. Do you think there's any point of them? Like going full out, uh, I guess if there's a single game elimination tournament, maybe that's the only thing that could motivate the players enough to try hard. Yeah, I, that kind of gets into my answers for what we want to see if the season comes Got back. It. So do, do we want? Do we want to just? Are we <laughs> yeah. pushing? Are we pushing let's through to the next? Let's segment? take a break. All right, let's take a break uh, first. And then we'll be we'll we'll come back and we're going to talk about things that we want to see, assuming it does come back. Because, like I said, as down on it as we can be right now, as soon as I see basketball on my TV there will be some sort of excitement regardless of if it's uh, Devin Booker throwing a lob to Ty Jerome or <laughs> to Ty Jerome to DeAndre and or if it's Ty Jerome throwing a lob to someone else a G leaguer I'll probably be excited all right we'll be right back we'll we'll talk about that in a second there is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner bet online nascar is back and bet online has hundreds of other games events and sports to get in on 
You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24-7. Or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And coming up next Sunday, BetOnline has ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges joining them to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling The Final Dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Guys looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Get BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. Okay, assuming the NBA does come back, what do we want to see? We each wrote down a few different things that we want to talk about. Do you do you want to go first, or would you like me to go first? Um, you were setting me up anyway, so I'll go first right here. Okay. Um, mine yeah. was going to be pretty simple. So, look, originally I wanted my original answer here was I wanted to see more of the Valley Boys lineup. I right. think we talked ourselves out of that. In the, in the that's a, that's a new name. In the that's first, a new name, by the way. Sorry, is that a new name? Let me explain what that is. That's the that's the starting lineup at the end of the season. So it's Devin Booker. Well, before Kelly Oubre got hurt. So it's Devin Booker, uh, Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre, Mikhail Bridges, and DeAndre Ayton. It's, it's that lineup. That is the Valley Boys lineup, as we're calling it. That lineup has a disgusting net rating. But uh, you always love to get the, the sample size up there. You know, just... Get them more minutes played together so that you can go in with some momentum next season and uh, and hopefully build on what they started to do this year. But I think we yeah. basically talked ourselves out of that in the first. And there's really no reason for uh, first twenty Kelly minutes. Kelly Oubre seems to be healthy, but there's no reason for him to play even if he feels okay anyway. So yeah, so now I'm basically thinking, fuck it, just like play Jalen LeCue. like that. That <laughs> I've changed my answer to that. Um, to to which I realized, have you ever looked at Jalen LeCue's G League numbers? for the northern arizona suns this year uh yes and i'll be honest i wish that i hadn't they're, they're very much not good he they're averaged bad. um they're very he, bad he averaged 13 <laughs> points three assists per game but also three turnovers he shot 41 percent from the field and only 21 percent from deep but again this is a kid who was drafted straight out of high school his potential um supposedly is sky high um his athleticism his vertical leap is sky high so that's definitely what you're going to see um if you bring him back and yeah i mean look if the suns are tanking who cares because probably every other team will be uh with only five games left you're not going to get more than maybe a couple spots up or down on the lottery tankathon ladder anyway um so you might as well play jalen lequeux and you might as well play uh ty jerome and i don't know who else is there do we still have Tariq owens and and jared harper at the g league or yeah are they gone if you if you still have those guys and bring them back up all those guys might as well yeah i like it because well why not (laughs) i guess this is really uh the thing to point out there and and just to see i think you should not only play Jalen lequeux you should give him just a full license to do kind of whatever he wants now that's not good player development i'll be honest 
But that's don't you, 2015. Don't you just want to see him? Try to dunk on everyone? That's 2015 to 2018 era Suns development. That's I mean, the, it's just the Josh Jackson. <laughs> that's the Josh Jackson school of development. Josh Jackson shooting fadeaway middies over Draymond Green. That's that's the sort of thing that is. Um, yeah. yeah, no, that's what I want to see out of Jay. I mean, uh, you know, imagine if he gets 30 to 40 points in one of these five games and the Suns get blown out by 40. That sounds like <laughs> a predictable scenario, but it would be awesome. And, and would, honestly, we're used to that kind of thing. So honestly, we are, and and yeah, I just what's the point in risking injury to Booker or Aiton or Ubre? I will say it, it it is a little unfortunate if the NBA season finally returns. Kelly Ubre and Frank Kaminsky have spent so much time rehabbing, and then they don't get to play that much. But I see no problem in keeping them fresh for the next season. Yeah, yeah, you know, and it does sort of make sense to do that. And and I had. When I wrote my initial drafts here, I wanted to see more of that lineup as well. Honestly, I hadn't even considered the idea. It's been so long since I thought about Kelly Oubre being injured. I I forgot to even consider that thought that why would he play? Of course, he's probably not. Even if the season were still going on somehow just in some alternate universe, which apparently exists now, um, uh, NASA decided that there's evidence of alternate universes. Uh, But uh, if there was some sort of alternate universe where the season was still going on, I can't imagine he would play no matter what unless he was like really 100% healthy right? or or for some reason the Suns were in the playoffs or something. And, but. and just, just to be clear, like I don't mean playing Jalen like 48 minutes a game. Even I know that's ridiculous. I'm basically talking about treating it like it's a preseason game. You know, just try wacky shit and see what sticks. You know, it's okay to fling yes. stuff at a wall and see what sticks. And, and to that end, what I mean is like Cam Johnson was a regular rotation player. I would still play him. You know, I'm not I'm not going to rest him entirely for the for the last five games. Play Cam Johnson, throw him out there for 20 to 25 minutes a game um, and actually force him to run the offense and see what happens or like run plays for him. You know, it's yeah. it's OK to get weird because yeah. we're living in a weird time and we run shouldn't pick and rolls. Yeah, we shouldn't <laughs> we shouldn't pretend that we're getting a return to normalcy what none like you said counts what, <laughs> none of it counts it really so i mean it does but it doesn't like it's like the 2k tournament all over again except the nba is using real players to to do it, it it's just very odd um okay i have one all right go this one is not technically basketball related assuming these players by the way i said orlando i don't know if i noted this it's at disney world that's where they're actually planning yeah. on doing this because disney world has the ability to they have the hotels they have the space they have the ability it of came a sound stage basically it came to my on attention on twitter today that disney world i've never been is twice the size of manhattan wow that is absurd that's ludicrous that that exists. Yeah, I've, never, I've never been either, and it, um, you've I'm been to Disneyland. Going anytime? Oh, I go Dis- to I go to Disneyland all the time, but uh, Disney World, yeah, that's just too far away. It's in Florida, first of all. Florida sucks. Sorry to people that listen to this podcast who live in Florida, but it's the worst. Uh, so that's I already feel bad for the players having to go to Orlando for this. But assuming it does happen, it's essentially going to be on a soundstage. Basically, they're going to build a TV set uh, with a court on it. There's going to be no fans. There will be announcers, of course. Announcers will... I don't know if they're going to be there in person or if they're going to broadcast remotely. You can do that remotely, for sure. And they probably should. These guys, you know... how Marv Albert's, what, 115 years old? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And if anything anything happened to Kevin Harlan, I'd never forgive uh, Adam Silver, so... Exactly. Uh, I think that they should have an option for 
no announcers. Kind of 2K style where you can adjust it and just listen to the players. I want to hear the players talking trash to each other. I want to hear them communicating on the court, calling out plays, calling out defensive schemes, calling out offense, things like that. I want to be able to hear the players. Now, I, 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 I wonder, like I, I wonder really if the NBA would actually be willing to do this. Now, I think that if I thought about this a few months ago, I would think there's no way. There's absolutely no way the NBA would be willing to do something like this because I'm sure they curse all the time. I'm sure there are things that are said on the court that they wouldn't want people hearing. But part of me wonders if we've gotten to a point where this is all so weird anyway. We just we just watched an, uh, a documentary on ESPN that was fully unedited. Like we got all the f words we wanted out of Michael Jordan and <laughs> Dennis Rodman, who can't can barely speak without cursing. I do wonder if the world has changed enough that maybe they would actually be willing to give us an option where we could hear the players. Or how awkward would it be if they had to... Because it's going to be easy to hear the players with just the mics on the cameras alone because mm-hmm. there's no fans. Hey, yep. How awkward would it be if they turned the volume completely down on those and then all you heard was announcers like a podcast talking in your ear where, ba- where basketball goes on back and forth? That sounds awful. So I might. Well, if you watch, is, let's hear. If you've ever watched, like you know, streamed online or, or watched public access style, like a high school basketball broadcast or like a D two or D three level basketball um, broadcast, not podcast. Sorry, <laughs> that's what I said. <laughs> if you've ever watched high school basketball or D three basketball, that's exactly what it's like. It's this awkward experience of kind of being talked at by the announcers like you're listening to a podcast and maybe hearing a dribble every once in a while, but not really much crowd noise. I guess it depends on, on the broadcast you're listening to. I'm all for it. And and this actually bleeds into um into my next one, which is I was afraid that they are going to neutralize exactly what you're talking about by pumping in crowd noise. They're just going to yeah. fake it. Uh, which is exactly what I don't want them to do. Because first of all, I think that's kind of the most patronizing thing you could do to us as viewers, trying to remind us uh, or or trying to convince (laughs) us. Well, I'm serious because think about it. It's trying to convince us as viewers that this is normal. As I just said, this is not normal. We should not try to pretend that this is normal. Uh, As far as I'm concerned, let the players curse as much as they want. Um, I want to hear them call out sets. I want to hear them communicate with each other. We can figure out, uh, you know, if DeAndre Ayton is really worth his shit as a communicator on defense, if he's learning anything from Aaron Baines. Um, for instance, that's something that I would look out for if either of them were actually going to play in these games. Um, but but don't pretend that we're stupid by drowning it all out with crowd noise. If anything, let the silence that you hear and the lack of fans, even if it is a little bit awkward, stand as this subtle reminder that this era that we're approaching this stretch of games if the season does in fact return is going to be like the wildest shit that ever went down in nba history yeah you know and embrace it embrace it and if we watch it on on archive video 15 or 20 years from now then you know we should instantly be able to be drawn into that moment by the fact that oh those were the five games in nba history where there were no fans and you couldn't hear any crowd noise yeah i want to be able to pinpoint it yeah and you know what if you tell the players People are going to be able to hear what you're saying. Then it's on them. Like if they say something they didn't want people to hear, well, that's that's what they did. Uh, they had the op- opportunity to. Not some of them say might it, be louder. Some of them might. Some of them would. I guarantee like, it. I guarantee in the playoffs, like Patrick Beverly is going to relish yeah. the opportunity to say whatever he wants, knowing that it's going to be heard by millions of fans. 
which sounds amazing. Like that's <laughs> what I want out of this because you know what's the point of doing things this drastically differently and not embracing the differentness of it. You have to actually embrace how different it is and find new ways to make it entertaining. And here's the thing. You can put it on two different channels. Look, put put the one like you did with like ESPN did with the with the broadcast of The Last Dance. Give us the regular version in in that version, feel free to pump in fake crowd noise or whatever with the announcers and then give us the other version and you can say, "Hey, just so you know, this one's unedited players uh players talking only. You get to feel like you're in the arena and that's it." Uh <laughs> And then you can you, the viewers can make a choice. We can choose to watch one. We can choose to watch the other. It's the only thing on. You know, it's not like there's any other sports happening right now. It's the only thing on, and so we can choose to watch one or the other. And and you know, that's that's my pitch. That's what I want to see happening. And and I agree with you. Um, it will be weird. I will say this: to see basketball without crowd noise will be bizarre. Uh, I was watching highlights recently. I was actually talking to Sam about this before the podcast and. A huge thing is the noise that the crowd makes when the ball goes in the basket. <laughs> That's a big part of these highlights. The announcers can sit out and just allow the moment to sort of hit you uh, with the crowd noise. The players rea- react. I mean, some of the best gifts that you've seen of players are them reacting to the crowd and the noise that's coming at them. And without all that, it's going to be odd. But like we said, if it's going to be odd, embrace it. Make it as odd as possible. All right, I got another one here. This one's real. <laughs> <laughs> and by that I mean it's actually related to basketball and it has some statistical relevance to the actual season. I wanted to make this point at the end of the season. We didn't really have an opportunity to talk about it because um, the everything went to shit so fast. Remember when the Suns were 7-4? and four? Remember that? I do remember that. that. That glorious stretch of basketball at the beginning of the season where we pretended the Suns were going to make the playoffs. Uh Back when we talked about 0.5 offense, uh, I feel like once they started playing badly, we just sort of abandoned the idea. <laughs> we forgot and, about, yep. No, no, I will say this. It wasn't just us. The players, the team, the coaches, the GMs, everyone was talking about 0.5. Coaches? They started are, playing. They're still the talking about it. They're still talking about it. Yeah, they are. But, you know, it was more prominent. Uh at the beginning of the season when it was sort of being introduced. Well, there was, was this it, moment where it captured the national attention. Like there was this interest behind it, this intrigue. Oh, 0.5. What is, yeah. what is 0.5? Um, it's this beautiful brand of basketball. It's San Antonio influenced, you know, it's yeah. it, everyone making these Mike quick Prado decisions. Yeah. Mike Prado wrote about it. And, and a bunch of people wrote about it at the time. Yeah. I, you know, I think it may have, I don't remember who the fuck wrote about it anymore, but a bunch of people did. I'm not lying when I say really it, it captured a nationwide audience. And then, yeah, you're right. The Suns started losing games, and uh, and suddenly we stopped talking about it. There's a few things I like about it. I liked about that stretch. Um, and I'm I'm a bit of a broken record with all of this because I just honestly, I believe that the best teams shoot the most threes. And that's that's the point I want to get to. During that 7-4 and four stretch, the Suns were ninth in the NBA in three-pointers attempted. Ninth in the NBA. So there were top 10 in three-pointers attempted. You can guess who the top two teams are, I bet, Sam. Do you want to give it a try? In, in three-pointers attempted? Yeah. Uh, Milwaukee and uh, who's second? Oh, no, actually, Milwaukee's second. I think you're missing an obvious analytics favorite. Who's for, Oh, Houston. I, I'm Houston, stupid. Yeah. I'm fucking stupid. 
<laughs> uh, here's a crazy stat. Houston takes 46 threes a game, or they were during that stretch. Uh, kind of insane at the beginning of the season. Um, and then, of course, Milwaukee was up there too. The Suns finished the season 21st in three-pointers three attempted. And if you take out that 7-4 and four stretch, they were 25th in three-pointers attempted. Now, it can be argued, well, yeah, they weren't making as many shots. Honestly, I don't care. I want them to shoot more threes. They need to shoot more threes. It makes more sense for them to shoot more threes. If that means Devin Booker shooting more threes, fine. He can shoot more threes. If that means getting more threes out of Cam Johnson because we can get more attempts to Cam Johnson, then yeah, do that. But if they come back and if they play earnestly, which they probably won't, but if they do, uh, take more threes. I, I just don't. I don't think it makes any sense to regress in that stat at all. I think that you have to encourage this team to play a modern system. There was a stretch in the middle of that season where they started playing two bigs again. There was all these weird things that they tried in the middle of the season to get back to it when in reality they should have stuck to it. They should have stuck to the principles that they were playing with at the beginning of the season. That was within 0.5 seconds. You pass, you shoot, you drive and you shoot a lot of threes and they should have continued to do that throughout the entire time of the season, regardless of ebbs and flows of shooting percentages that's not the type of thing that should change the way you play that's just a normal thing that's how averages work eventually you will regress you will get better or you will get worse that's that's what happens so i just want them to continue that now that's this season or that's next season but more threes more threes i am very 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 glad you brought that up um i agree with you first of all i think the coaching staff agrees with you too uh and it's interesting. We didn't plan this at all, but but the fact that you mentioned that, um, there's a really really good interview that came out today with Darko Rayakovic, the assistant coach, um, mostly about offense. Very little of it is about defensive coordinator type stuff, but but it's really about how the Suns brought an identity to their offense. It talks a lot about point five um, offense actually and point five principles in there. And I should tell you where to find it because I don't think I've done that yet. It's with um, <laughs> Chris Oliver who runs this YouTube channel called Basketball Immersion um, and is really a podcast that is geared towards coaches. So it's kind of X's and O's based and it's geared towards people coaching at the youth level or the high school level or the college level, any type of coach. Um, But then also just talks a lot about general basketball mindset and identity. So go check that out. Um, A great interview, an hour-long interview with assistant coach Ryakovich that came out today, yesterday now, if you're you're listening tomorrow. Um, But... Uh, what what Darko said in this interview was that the Suns' identity at its core was .5 offense, but was also running what they called their auto offense. And from an X's and O's standpoint, what that meant was it was the point guard bringing the ball up the floor. It was two wings at the break of the three-point line. It was one big man used as a trailer, and the other big man used uh, standing at the opposite elbow from Ricky Rubio or whichever point guard is is bringing the ball up the floor. But the point was that he was making is the four and the five, ideally in the Suns offense this year, the idea was they would be interchangeable and one would always be the trailer and one would always be at that elbow position, ready to set screens, ready to rescreen if, you know, an option is rejected, um, ready to be a rim runner. What it did though, in my mind, it really established how important they saw it that at least one big man on the court at all times was a floor spacer. The only way you get optimal spacing is, yes, you have these two wings in the corners on the break, ready to get into that secondary tertiary playmaking position, but you never have two big men kind of enter the paint at the same time. If one is inside, the other is always outside. 
and I so I think to to kind of bridge where you what you were just talking about, Mike. I think where Suns fans got frustrated this year is um, bouts of time where either Aaron Baines wasn't hitting his threes, or Dario Saric was really struggling from downtown at some points, or Frank Kaminsky wasn't hitting threes. But structurally, the Suns' offense was really set up so that if DeAndre Ayton was the guy catching lobs, there was always going to be a guy paired with him um, that was meant to be put into that trailer position and just increase the spacing of the offense and shoot a lot of threes. And I definitely agree. I do think they got away from it a little bit towards the middle of the season. Um, But I was really happy when I heard that interview today because it kind of reaffirmed that principle in my mind that, yes, this is something the coaching staff really does want to stick to. They do care uh, kind of about analytics because that's really what this comes down to. And they do care about having a modern offense. And as we talk about how the Suns should structure their offense in the future, I think it has really important repercussions because – it basically says if DeAndre Ayton's never going to learn to shoot, the power forward next to him right. absolutely has to shoot um, or else they're just not going to do it. That's that's what kind of what the insinuation is there in yes. having that style of offense. And in, in, a, in a perfect world, they all shoot threes, including DeAndre Ayton. That's all five guys. And that allows uh, maybe the big man, in quotes, or the person that's in the paint to be someone like Devin Booker, who is the best at penetrating. Uh, and it just gives you a lot more space, a lot more freedom to do a lot of things. But I also want to say, I truly believe in the philosophy of not restricting guys to shoot allows them to shoot a higher percentage. And I know this is, it's kind of complicated, but there's two coaches specifically that talk about this. One is Mike D'Antoni. Players who have played for Mike D'Antoni will always shoot better when they play for him because he only chastises them when they don't shoot. He never gives them a hard time when they're shooting. The system demands that they shoot. And I think when there's no doubt in your mind that you're doing the right thing by launching a three because your coach is not going to chastise you for it, it matters. I think that allows players to shoot a little bit better. And maybe I'm being a little bit of a hippie here, but I truly believe that the other coach that says something like this is uh, Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr says the ball has energy. The ball has a flow to it. And when it moves the right amount and gets the guys that are open to shoot, they're more likely to make it. So I, I, I believe in that just because I've played basketball before, obviously at a very low level of basketball, but I know when my teammates are confident in me shooting, it feels a little better to shoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, just, I just think that I hope, and I'm glad you said that, by the way, and everyone should go listen to that interview. I hope that they continue to encourage people to shoot as much as possible. I don't, I truly cannot stress this enough. I do not give a shit about the shooting percentages at whatever point of the season. If there are players who are known to be shooters, they should be shooting. I don't care Yeah, well, uh, I think they're in a cold stretch. I think where the Suns are at right now, realistically, talking about a team that's on the bubble and, and just trying to be 500, you can't care about that. You can't get caught up in that. Exactly. If you're in the difference between being a ch- real championship contender and being a pretender that gets knocked out in the second round, we can have those discussions. But, but for now, you need shooters to shoot. You need guys to have confidence. And that's why, again, sorry to sound like a broken record but really if you're a Suns fan you're interested in coaching go check out this interview with um assistant coach Ryakovich because the other thing he said that that really um stood out to me that I think I'm going to remember for a while is he said players want to play inside of systems where they touch the ball right and that's exactly what you were just getting at the that's ball has that's energy. ball has energy that's why Ricky Rubio was brought to Phoenix that's why we can't as fans 
forget the value of Ricky Rubio and, and the massive improvement that he made to this team's offense, um, offense and culture and identity um, this season because he allowed everyone to touch the ball. He got other players the confidence necessary to shoot the ball, not always at quite the percentages that we liked. Right. Um, but the Suns still led the league in, in assists. And, you know, if they continue to stock up on a little bit more talent, they're going to continue to trend in the right direction under it's, this system. It's not a coincidence that Devin Booker shot better, Kelly Oubre shot better, Mikhail Bridges shot better, these guys shot better. And also, just to actually hammer that point home about Ricky Rubio, look at the way his former teammates talk about him. Uh, that matters. I think that, that type of thing matters. And it might matter when the Suns are, are looking for a free agent this summer. Uh, because they all love playing with Ricky Rubio. He has a great reputation, and that's because of what you said. Players like touching the ball. Uh, it well, doesn't matter if you're a high-usage player or not. Being able to make decisions is kind of what makes basketball fun. If you have no choice in any decision that's made on the court, it's probably pretty boring. Well, it's like how all of these, all of these former players always gush about how much they love playing with Steve Nash. Yeah. Um, whether it's Joe Johnson or Quentin Richardson, Sean Marion, Amari Stoudemire, they've always done it. And then half of them, you know, go back and shit on Nash subtly and talk about how maybe he was overrated and was never one of the best players in the league. That's besides <laughs> the point, though. They love to play with him because he got them the ball. It's really that simple. Exactly. All right. What do you got? Next one. Um, yeah, my last one is kind of, I kind of touched on this before um, with the whole Josh Jackson thing, I guess, to kind of bring that back around. Um, I, I want the Suns, I guess, to to not overplay guys like Devin Booker. Um, but DeAndre Ayton and Mikhail Bridges, it, it kind of matters how much we see of them in a way because uh, we only have one year left on each of their deals before uh, they're going to be eligible for rookie contract extensions. For DeAndre in particular, that's really interesting because imagine a situation where the Suns have five games left this season, which don't mean anything, and then this, you know, the pandemic, the COVID-19 situation right now isn't fully taken care of yet by the start of next season. And we play another weird kind of asterisk style season. And maybe we get part of a normal season, but but part of a not normal season. And then before you know it, it's the end of DeAndre Ayton's third year. And uh, we have to have the conversation on this podcast and in various media outlets. Is DeAndre Ayton worth a max contract? That's yeah. that's a very interesting situation. So, you know, yeah. I, I don't I think there is reason um, anyone, basically anyone who is a free agent or eligible for an extension soon should play some sort of role. So on another level, Javon Carter is a free agent this year. I think the fair thing to do for him, um, especially if the Suns aren't going to re-sign him, is at least let him try out for other teams, play a guy like right. that. Dario Saric, at least let him try out for other teams. So I guess I'm just saying there's some, my th third point is that there's some nuance to this. I don't want Devin Booker to get injured. I don't want Kelly Oubre to re-injure himself. But there are guys here where the stakes actually do seem to matter, even if we don't quite grasp that uh, from the fan perspective all right we're like 47 ish minutes into this podcast and so i'm about to drop some sort of question here that'll make some suns fans feel a certain way uh how do you think suns fans would react if there were rumors of deandre ayton on the trade block this summer or this off season whenever that's going to be i think how they would think be i think they would be angry uh but under like why well i've never i've never to this point even considered that they would chop him so what are they shopping him for just to gauge his value i think that if you, i think you're right first of all um uh with the idea of sort of understanding that max contract and i think they're you know james jones has won i'm not sure how many championships has james jones won at this point three i yeah, think so he, 
three, four, maybe not, four, not four, <laughs> not four. Uh, yeah. However many championships James Jones has won, three championships. Uh, how many of those three championships came with a dominant big man on them? Uh, uh, define I mean, dominant big man. Kevin Love and count, Chris Bosh. Uh, Kevin Love and Chris Bosh are great examples. Uh, those guys are sort of role players on those teams. <laughs> okay, fine. high, high, high quality role players. They are Hall, Hall of Fame role players. There, you Hall got of Fame there, worthy role whatever. players. Yes. Oh well, here's the thing: uh, the roles that they played on the championship teams are not the reason they're going to be in Hall, in the Hall of Fame. Now, it helps to have that championship uh, that championship on their resume, of course, to be in the Hall of Fame. But if those if those years that they played with the LeBron were also what they averaged before they got to LeBron they'd be looked at a little differently. I think they had the opportunity to lead certain teams and that boosted their overall career numbers, which helps. Not saying that they that he would do this, but say James Jones looks at it and says, I don't, I'm not sure I want to use my cap space uh, on a max contract for, for DeAndre Ayton or just a center in general. Uh, and he just shops him to see what would be available out there. I don't know that that would happen. I don't know that Robert Sarver would allow it to happen. But I do wonder if there's a certain kind of GM that would do that just to see what was available. And if James Jones is that type of guy, um, maybe it would be insane, especially after the season that he's had. Maybe it wouldn't. Maybe maybe you can get something that you don't expect for. Uh, for example, you're, maybe you're, maybe you're going to like this, maybe you're not. Say they call it Portland, as we talked about in our last episode. And oh, they say, wow. hey, what's it, what's it going to take for Damian Lillard? What if Portland says, well, DeAndre and uh, your pick and... I don't know. They want Kelly Oubre or they want Aiden and Bridges. They they Portland's going to want the second Damian Lillard hits the market if he ever does. Uh, twenty eight teams are calling. Twenty nine teams are calling. Yeah. So they they want Aiden Bridges and picks. Right. That might still be worth it. <laughs> which it's, is it's insane an to think about. Prospect. It's an interesting prospect, and you know, I, I mean, it can be argued the defense would could potentially be so bad. Uh, that it'd be difficult to recover from. Yeah, it just from it looks pretty. Like that, I know you can't live in the past, and this is a really shitty way to think about it as you build a team for the future. If you're a GM, but it does look pretty silly to pass on uh, Luca for Aiton and then trade him for a guard. <laughs> it's just, oh, it yeah. looks, looks pretty silly. Yeah, um, yeah, it would, and I don't really care about that. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just a thought. If if you make calls like that, if you're actually, yeah. if I'm you're in actually no rush to trade to find, him. Don't don't no, come. I just want not. I want it on the record now. Don't come yeah, for same. me. Don't send me hate mail. I'm not trying to trade DeAndre Ayton. Cool, we're cool. Yes, I I agree with that. But it's just a thought. I wonder how Suns fans would react if that were to happen. All right. Um, you have one more. That was a good one. I do have one more. I have a question for you. What do you think is the most three point three pointers attempted by Cameron Johnson this season was? Do you have any idea? In a game. In a game. Six. Seven? <laughs> no, actually, it's kind of it's kind of interesting that you said that. Uh, he actually took thirteen. What? Oh. In one game, it was actually versus the Toronto Raptors. I the was Suns way lost. off. Whoa! The Suns lost by nine. He had twenty-one points, three blocks. <laughs> two I assists, remember that, four game. In that game. Wow! Yeah. I said six, and he averaged five a game. That was pretty he stupid. Five. <laughs> yeah, he he had one game with nine, and the rest of them were eight, seven, six, and then below. Um, a few games where he took one. I'm going to say this. If the Suns play this last stretch of the season, we got to get at least 10 three-pointers attempted by Cam Johnson per game. No doubt. Let's see how far we can stretch this. No 10 doubt. should be the minimum. They should go out there and say, Cameron, you are taking 10 three-pointers a game, period. And then see how many he can take beyond that. It's going to be uh, it's gonna be absurd rules. Because think about this, man. 
every lottery fan base is having the same conversation. Like, let's say the Knicks and the Suns meet up for some useless game here. You're going to have Cam Johnson enter the game on one side shooting 15 threes. And on the other side, you're going to have Mitch Robinson playing point guard. Yeah. Showing off the showing off the bum ass handles he just did in that Twitter video. That was a joke. That was <laughs> the fact that Knicks fans actually think that that's good is so bizarre. First of all, it was funny because he was he was against a guy who was clearly like five eleven, five eleven, and no strength on his body uh, <laughs> versus Mitchell Robinson, who's clearly very strong, uh, and Mitchell still with all those handles could not get by him. He actually ended up shooting a step back, twenty one foot <laughs> mid range shot, and people were like, "Yes, yes, he he's a unicorn." Mitchell Robinson, best this is what we've been waiting NBA. for. Best yeah. center in the NBA. He finally figured it out. That was a joke. One, he can't get by that man. Two, those handles will get stripped by an average defender in the NBA. And and if he's using handles to take a step back. <laughs> mid-range shot that's the worst possible shot in the league so feel free to do that as much as he wants i knew you thought it was funny but i didn't actually know you'd get this riled up so i'm glad i brought it up (laughs) i just think i i I think it's funny when people go wow look at mitchell robinson he's so good it's like he is first of all he is really good he's really good because he understands his role in the nba if he starts to get a little bit of this Dwight Howard thing where you want to do more than you're capable of, that's when you start becoming not worth what, what you're, you're actually bringing to the table here. And I think it's, it, to me, it's clear that he's trying to send a message here that he's capable of doing that because this is not the first time that we've seen one of those handles videos. What he just put out against a no-name defender, every single NBA player can do that. I, I hate to break it to people who were surprised by that, Every single one. That includes DeAndre Ayton, who, who's dribbled 13 times in the NBA total. <laughs> he can do that as well against a nobody. It's just not impressive to me. Who's though. the second best? I'm sorry for the aside now, but I always love a little bit of Knicks hate. Who's the second best prospect in the Knicks rebuild? Don't say Outs- RJ. Outside Barrett. of Mitchell? Don't say RJ. It has to be RJ. Who else could it be? Kevin Is Knox? It's not Frank. No, it's not Kevin Knox. <laughs> that team is so fucked. And you don't even understand, dude. Like, I, I moved away, I moved 300 miles away from New York City. I'm still in New York State. Uh, okay, maybe 200 miles, not three. And there are still diehard Knicks fans up here who will swear by Kevin Knox and R.J. Barrett to the grave. And I, I feel like I'm just looking at a version of myself from three years ago, screaming into but but, like, I can't reach them. You know, I want to reach out and grab them and tell them that R.J. Barrett is the next Josh Jackson and Kevin Knox okay. is the next Okay, wait, wait, wait. I whatever. want to say this. R.J. Barrett was bad. Yes. I think he is not the next Josh Jackson. I think there were flashes towards the end of the season where I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't have faith he's going to be an all-star at any point in his career. I'll say that. But I think he could be okay. Like, I, I don't think he's going to be a terrible player. And I guess maybe some people still feel that way about Josh Jackson. I mean, that's right. exactly what I was saying about Josh earlier in the episode. He might not be a terrible player. It's worked also coming on a reckoning point where the Suns gave up on guys like Josh Jackson and Marquise Chris after a couple of years. Those guys are still only like 22, 23, and both of them were kind of okay this year. Well, uh, we're, yeah, we're, I, we're treading dangerously close to the point where Marquise Chris is like a good starting center for the Warriors next year. Yes. And people clap back on us for it. Did you um, see, for, did, for you see the, uh, did you see the 
when I posted on Twitter about what we should talk about for this episode, did you see the person that posted the link with quotes from front office people with the Warriors calling Marquise Chris their franchise center and they feel comfortable uh, starting the season with him starting at center. Did you see that? I did see that. And that's, that's basically what I'm talking about. Like he's, yeah, he had some good defensive plays for them this year. And then suddenly people want to still buy into his potential, which to be fair to Keese, the Warriors are a high-quality organization that the Suns were not. They were just plain not. And he's a perfect not. fit there as far as what he's like, it, yeah, potentially I mean, no one, capable of. I, look, I kind of I kind of hate Marquise Chris. I'm not going to lie. I, I really kind of hate the guy. But I will admit that he was an athletic player um, who maybe had some sort of semblance of potential um, to hit an outside shot. He didn't do it at a high rate for the Suns, but he was willing to try. Um, and his only issues were really maturity. So if he fixes maturity on a, on a better organization than the Suns were a couple of years ago uh, and becomes a quality player, credit to him. I still kind of hate the guy, but, you know, I would have to give credit where it's due at that point. I don't hate him. I always kind of liked him. Uh, did I think he was going to be a good player, a great player? No, uh, not after watching him. I had high hopes for him when I first saw him. But I do think he's in a really good role for him right now. I I, I think that he Marquise, will be good. Marquise Chris, I think, is the reason that you keep asking me if every 6'8 big man can play center, right? Because <laughs> because he's he's the blueprint for that. Not can, should. <laughs> sure. I'm not even saying they're all going to be good at it. I'm just saying I'm not sure if they have a role in the NBA outside of that. Unless anymore. they like, do that, yeah. No, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, it's just uh, where we're at we got a little off track where did we even start here let's just end this thing (laughs) 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 we talked about marquise chris for five minutes 56 minutes into a podcast (laughs) jesus christ (laughs) all right (laughs) if the nba comes back you know what we want to see hopefully there is some sort of news that sam and i can talk about next week thank you everyone for listening if you have any ideas of what we should talk about going forward feel free to send them our way. Also, we may or may not be working on some other stuff for you soon, so keep an eye out for that. Anything else, Sam? No, that's that's all for me. (laughs) You'll hear from us eventually. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance.
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.